Welcome to the Free Rocky Nation. I'm your host, Amanda. Thank you for listening. Today, I'm going to introduce you to Larry Rocky Harris himself. Larry is my biological father. He raised me himself from ages 5 to 9. In 1993, when I was 9 years old, my father was sentenced to 65 years in the Illinois Department of Corrections for two armed robberies. During the 1990s, armed robbery carried a maximum sentence of 12 years per charge. My father's sentence was excessive, even for the crime for which he was accused. You may be wondering, how did my father get such an excessive sentence? My father did have a prior conviction on his record. In 1984, a very dangerous man tried to kill my father. This man hired two assassins to slice my father's throat and leave him to bleed out and die in an alley. My father obviously lived. (laughs) This man also threatened to kill my pregnant mother. My father decided that this man needed to be stopped before he got a chance to try to kill my mom. My father did shoot that man in his face. That man lived. My father went to prison for four and a half years on an armed violence charge. He served his time and was released in 1989. My mom and I were unharmed because my father took action to protect us. When my father got out of prison, he took custody of me. I lived with my father until the end of my second grade year in school. Now you're probably wondering, did Larry really do the armed robberies? No, he did not. So if my dad didn't do these crimes, then how was he connected to these crimes? Let me explain. A man named Kent Humphrey used to be friends with my father in the spring of 1991. My father was running a business where he and his crew would cut down trees and haul away garbage. My father hired Kent Humphrey to work for him. Kent Humphrey attempted to steal from the business, so my father fired him. In November of 1992, two armed men robbed Silver Dollar Tavern. In December of 1992, they robbed Kelly's Bar and Grill. These men were identical in size, dress, and had matching weapons. They both entered establishments after hours as the businesses were conducting nightly cleanups. The robber was wearing a black ski mask, BDU fatigues, black combat boots, and was on foot. In both robberies, the till had already been emptied and reset for the next day, so it only contained $100 in both places. The two thieves tied up the bartenders each time. They stole the till and ran off on foot. At the trial, Kent testified that he and my father used my father's work truck as the getaway vehicle from the robberies. My father's work truck had his business information posted on it. My dad's name and phone number were on the side. How obvious would that have been if that had actually happened? If that had been the case, then why did it take the cops half a year to solve the robberies? And why wasn't there any surveillance footage of the truck? or any eyewitness statements about the truck. Fast forward to May of 1993, Kent Humphrey steals the truck of an acquaintance of his in Illinois. He then drives the truck across state lines to Missouri. While speeding on a Missouri highway, a Missouri trooper scans the truck plates. The plates come back as stolen, and the trooper flashes his lights for Kent to pull over. Initially, Kent does pull over. Once the trooper questions how Kent came to be in possession of a stolen truck, Kent steals the officer's service weapon and tries to shoot him. Kent missed and drove away. The trooper called for backup and began a pursuit. Four more Missouri troopers joined the chase. Kent 
lost control of the truck and wrecked it. He jumped out of the total truck and tried to shoot it out with the five Missouri State Troopers. Once he ran out of bullets, he gave himself up and was arrested. Kent went to jail in Missouri that day. While Kent was sitting in jail in Missouri, Adams County State's Attorney Scott Walden visited Kent. Walden told Kent that he could get Kent a sentence of seven years for his crimes in Missouri and in Illinois. Walden went on to explain how the 1992 robberies had gone unsolved. All Kent needed to do was confess to these robberies, list his accomplice, and take the seven-year plea deal. Kent said, I can do that. I know just the guy. Kent confessed to doing the armed robberies with my father, even though neither of them had done the robberies. Since my father and Kent did not do the robberies, no evidence was presented to corroborate Kent's confession at trial. Not a single shred of physical evidence has ever been produced to connect Kent or my father to the robberies. Now I'm going to reveal what clinched the jury's guilty verdict. A Quincy police officer went out to the Adams County Juvenile Detention Facility where my brother was incarcerated. This would be my father's oldest child. My brother was 15 at the time. The officer and my brother met privately. The cop asked my brother to sign a sworn statement that said my father admitted doing these robberies and admitted this to my brother. And my brother had to give testimony that my father showed him the weapons that had been used and the stolen money. The officer promised that in exchange for the sworn statement, he would organize my brother's immediate release from juvenile detention. My brother said he would sign a sworn statement under one condition that he never be asked to testify on video or on the stand. He did not want to look our father in the eye while locking him up for life. The cops said that could be arranged. Three important things should jump out at you. First, I mentioned that the police officer met with my brother to get the sworn statement. Those two were the only two in attendance at that meeting. A juvenile has to have a legal representative, someone who represents the actual juvenile, present before a sworn statement can be obtained. My brother's statement was not legally obtained, but was allowed at the trial. Secondly, my brother refused to testify to the statement. That speaks volumes about the statement itself. Why wouldn't he want to testify that his own statement was true, if indeed it was true? Also, legally, my brother would have to testify in court. Since my brother was used as a witness against my father, the defense has the legal right and had the legal right to cross-examine him. My brother was ignorant to these facts, and that ignorance was used against him. Third, my brother was promised and granted immediate release from juvenile detention. If the sworn statement was true, why offer an incentive for it? My brother's sworn statement did not go over well at trial, however. The prosecution called my brother up to the stand and he tried not to testify. The prosecution then read the sworn statement line by line and asked my brother if he remembered each detail. It sounded like this. Do you remember your father showing you the stolen money? My brother would answer, I don't remember any stolen money. Prosecution, do you remember writing about seeing the stolen money in your sworn statement? My brother, I'm not sure. Please picture what's going on here. Prosecutor is reading my brother's testimony to the jury. My brother's not actually giving a testimony on the stand. The judge should have immediately stopped the charade. 
but he didn't. Now you know why my father has been in prison since 1993. If you want to read more in depth about his trial, check out his book, Never Ending Nightmare by Larry Rocky Harris on Amazon. His original court case is The People of the State of Illinois versus Larry G. Harris, case number 93-CF-307. I post updates about my father on Facebook regularly. His website is updated regularly also. Please connect with us and check out his books. Thanks for listening to the Free Rocky Nation.